Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to a musical journey like no other. This is 33 with William Patrick Corgan. This is the 31st step on this interstellar musical expedition. We're so close to the epic conclusion. What's going to happen to Shiny? What's going to happen to the X and I? What's going to happen to the world? We're going to find out as we continue to follow the story of the newest Smashing Pumpkins album, Autumn. Don't forget the first two acts are available now on your favorite streaming platforms. If it's your first time listening to 33, welcome. If you've been with us since the very beginning, thanks for being fans. Thanks for tuning in. On this episode, we're having another world premiere of a song from the album Autumn. We'll be listening to and analyzing the track Intergalactic with Smashing Pumpkins frontman Billy Corgan. On this episode, we're listening to a classic track all the way back from 1998. We're going back to Behold the Nightmare off of a door. We had a great time in Chicago for NWA 312. It was great seeing some of the podcast fans in person at Zuzu's and at the wrestling show. And now we're ready to head down under. We are off to Australia for the World is a Vampire Tour, Smashing Pumpkins, Jane's Addiction, more music, more wrestling. It's going to be bananas, Kyle. Bananas, indeed. You know, time is a man-made construct we all agreed upon, or at least the basis of the second is. And I just want to say that that does not change the fact that it's now plug time, baby. This weekend, we're going to be going over Worlds of Vampire Festival, Australia. We just got back from Chicago. Billy, I know this is chaos and that you're used to this, but Joe and I, 
two days in between, basically being gone a month. It's a brand new world for us. Speaking of brand new world, April 21st, the whole reason for the pods happening. Autumn goes out there in the world for all of you to enjoy. Thanks for following the podcast. And as always, make sure you like, subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you're listening via iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, or whatever. WPC33.com. Swing over there. Continue the pod conversation. You can find playlists, lyrics, and more. Also, we're going to need you to give us our questions. It's going to be Ask Billy. Billy's going to come up with a hashtag by the end of the episode, and you're going to follow that link there to get there. Basically, ever since Chicago, I've been looking forward to Australia. And I got to be honest with you, with the U.S. tour happening and all this other stuff, the world is literally a vampire. You, sir, you don't seem to sleep either. I wish. Is Billy <laughs> Corgan a vampire? <laughs> well, because <laughs> then you'd be able to drink blood, and it'd be acceptable. Well, I already do drink blood, and, and nothing seems to we be have working. have to do it in the shadows. <laughs> if I could get rid of these wrinkles, everything would be great. Um, listen, uh, life is wonderful. Where I come from in the world of entertainment, busy equals your working equals things are going well. So sometimes when you're aggrieved with too much work or stress, it's hard to smell the roses, as they used to say back in the day, and really enjoy that many people would kill for the situation that the three of us are in, to be working in, in our vocations and passions. So sometimes you just got to take a quick second and, and step back and say thank you. Thank you to those listening. Thank you to those supporting. We just, of course, recently released Spellbinding, a single out of the gate strong, really doing well at radio, the World's a Vampire Festival, Australia, Mexico, now in America, the NWA, my other, my other insanity being combined in with the greatness of, of SP to reach around the world and and branch out. So hopefully one day we'll look at back at all this stress and all this clamor and appreciate that it was because we were we were after something that we really cared about. To Autumn, our subject today, you know, Kyle mentioned, hey, by the end of this podcast, Billy's going to have a hashtag. I have a hashtag, so let's just get that out of the way. Billy33, Billy33. That's pretty simple and easy to remember because if I say WPC33, somebody's going to forget it. Billy33. So ask your Autumn questions with the hashtag Billy33. Of course, Karina is monitoring all social channels, so she will collect the best questions, and we'll even do a special Q&A type box on Instagram. But Billy33, hashtag Billy33 on Twitter and Instagram, wherever you do your socials these days, there seems to be so many channels. And uh, we'll collate the questions. That's a fancy word for saying we'll put them all together. We'll review and we'll pick the best questions. These are your questions about Autumn, the storyline, the recording process, whatever you want to know about Autumn whether uh, everything I'm already being asked by media is they're going to be a sequel to Autumn, which I think is a good sign of success. So whatever questions you have, we will cover those in the very last and 33rd episode of 33, the podcast. Season finale, sitting around a mic in Australia. It's going to be an experience. I hope a kangaroo doesn't jump in. Actually, I do hope a kangaroo does jump in. Our go-home show to God knows what. For those uh, curious, we are looking at the prospect of continuing the podcast we don't yet have a destination home or even a chance that it's necessarily going to continue. I could certainly continue it on my own, but I'm looking for the right formal situation uh, and I've certainly have been very happy to partner with iHeart. So I'm open to even that if that situation continues. But when we started, it was very much about, we're going to do this 33-week podcast and let's see how it goes. Um, I hear a little tinkling sound in the background. I assume it's Kyle. No, nope, uh, that's me. The that's sound. me this That's time. Joe making the that's, tinkling that, sound. That is my my wonderful dog, Taylor, named after the, the according to my fiance, the world's greatest living musician, Taylor Swift. I, she loves what she loves. Oh! I mean, and you can't argue with the success that you're seeing with, with Taylor Swift and all these sold out arena. I mean, I, I get 
completely buried in it with just sitting next to her and she's on TikTok and everything that she's looking at is something from that concert. And it, it's incredible what's, what they're being able to, what they're, what you're able to see with that, you know, and that, and just the, the way that music can really just bring people together. She's bringing a lot of people together. To Autumn, our storyline, here we are, Intergalactic, a very interesting and curious song, which you're about to hear. It's actually two songs that were put together. At one point, each part, uh, part one and part two, were two parts of Autumn on the 33 songs. And I think at one point I decided to collapse, and then that created another opportunity for songs. So technically speaking, Autumn really is, wink, wink, 34, 35 songs, but don't tell anybody. So Intergalactic is two parts. Part one, as you remember, and we enter the scene. Last you saw Shiny and Ruby. They were on the space pad. Shiny was singing his song, I'm not necessarily made for this world that we're living in. Uh, Maybe I should get the heck out of here. So the song ends, and here comes Intergalactic. They're still standing on the space pad. And who arrives as uh, Shiny is completing his ode to misanthropy? Is that even a word? Misanthropy? (laughs) <laughs> Some of my friends uh, that talk to me daily on uh, on Instagram can tell me if that's actually a word. Misanthropy. I, th- I believe that's a word. Uh, his, myth- his misanthropic life. So he-, he concludes the song, and who shows up but Osira? And what's she waving about? A laser pistol. I figured it was a little less political to say it was a laser pistol than a, than a you-know-what. So she's got a laser pistol, and she fixes it on Shiny. She's decided that Shiny has to go, that what he represents, the living version of Shiny, has to go, that he's the danger to her dream. And her dream is, of course, a better and safer world uh, made in the image of something more equitable for everybody. Somehow, Shiny is being blamed for this this, uh, incongruent situation. And so she points the laser pistol at Shiny, handshaking. She's not sure she wants to pull the trigger. She once had affection for this person she'd never met, i.e. I. through Ruby, he's standing right next to Shiny. And, uh, and in, as Intergalactic starts, it's uh, Osira singing to Shiny her feelings about her disappointment. I am happy that you mentioned that this was two separate songs put together because as I was listening to the advanced version of the song that we get ahead of this podcast, there was a point where I said, I think there's an error because this feels like a separate song that just went right into the other song. And I had a moment where I'm like, is this intentional? Is this not? Now I know the answer. It's intentional, but at once upon a time, it wasn't. Kyle, you should know by now that everything is intentional in my world. <laughs> the art is making it look like it's not intentional. Yes, it was intentional. And then, uh, so when she completes her, hey man, I'm really disappointed in you song. You could have been this, and instead you ended up being this. An imperfect and at times selfish and self-possessed human. If only you were down for the cause and you put these wonderful gifts you had to the cause, imagine what this world can be. In essence, putting on shiny, if only you did X, Y, Z, A, B, C, well, this world would be a better place. And of course, shiny stand there thinking, I don't know what I got to do with this. And by the way, I don't even know you, right? You're just some face in the crowd who appeared out of the crowd and uh, tried to turn the crowd against me, if you remember the party that I referred to. So part two of the song is shiny's response to Osira. He basically tells her, Let's put it in Chicago terms. Go F yourself. He basically says to her, you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've sacrificed. You don't know what I've suffered. You don't know what my real hopes and dreams are. In fact, my hopes and dreams are probably bigger than yours. But you try standing where I'm standing. Referring to myself for a second, 
there were many times in my musical life where I kind of felt a vibe from the left of the stage, the right of the stage, or behind me, that the person, let's say, wherever proximity I just gave you to, was judging the job that I was doing in the center of the stage. And to be simplistic about it, if I was standing where you were standing, I'd be doing a better job of whatever it is that a lead singer is supposed to do than you're doing at this particular moment. Whether I was having a a tantrum or saying something inappropriate or maybe just having a bad day, whatever, I could probably do your job better than you can. And one time I pulled a band member aside and said, even though you're 30 feet to the, you know, pick your your location because I don't want to name the band member, even though you're only 30 feet away from me, okay, it's a lot farther than you think. Meaning, to stand in the middle of the storm, to be in the middle of the conversation, to talk to a Howard Stern, which I did recently for you know an hour and 45 minutes straight without a break, one of the greatest interviewers probably ever, and uh, certainly you know up there with the best that I've uh, ever talked to, you know, talking about everything from your childhood to the band, to your future, to your family, to why you're getting married a very skilled and incisive interviewer. Try standing anybody, and I'm saying this empathetically. This is not, hey, I'm better than you. I'm saying this. It's a weird gig, and you got to have a certain insanity. you got to have a certain uh, chuff in you to think, hey, I can not only can I hang, but actually not go down in flames in the middle of it. Have a Howard Stern or, you know, God knows who else I've talked to kind of roll their eyes and think, this guy doesn't belong in this spot. And so if you see people... This is where you have to give a certain respect to whether it's Taylor Swift or, and beyond. If you make it to the middle of the conversation and you stay there, and in the case of Taylor Swift, she's been there for a good long time now, you're doing something right, even though the world will tell you constantly you're doing it wrong. I also think what's interesting about this point in the story, where Shiny once again is having some a, a moment where there's a potential to end the life of Shiny, and Shiny shows no fear in that. And is there a sense of Shiny having sort of an idea that the idea of Shiny, the music of Shiny can live forever and thus your mortal self is less important? And if that goes, it goes. Who cares? You still have to stand up for your principles. Well, it's a great question. It's a combination of two ideas. One, and some people probably have heard me tell this story. My father told me a story once of how he was doing a a drug deal. He was the buyer in this particular instance. And a guy got in the car to sell the drugs. But rather than sell my father the drugs, the guy put a gun in my father's ribs and said, give me all your money and probably whatever drugs you're holding. And my father said, go ahead and shoot me. I don't care. You'll probably be doing me a favor. And the guy's hand started shaking and he couldn't pull the trigger and he got out of the car. That is a story, obviously, that stuck with me. The other thought is, if you commit to life fully, and I'm talking anybody, I'm not talking as an artist, anybody, if you commit to life fully, there's a sense that it's not about tomorrow, it's really about today. And if you don't have a tomorrow, well, you've kind of left it all on the field, or as they say in combat sports, you know, you went out on your shield. I'm very comfortable at this point in my life at 56 years old that I've done more than most, uh, that I put my foot in it pretty strong, That is not to say I don't have a a pile of regrets, the songs I could have written, the things I could have done and certainly done different. But when I look back, nine times out of 10, I went hard at whatever was in front of me, including my own madness and delusion. It didn't make for good art, but somehow I survived and came out the other side. And now, you know, here I am in the studio again with Jimmy Chamberlain recording a new Smashing Pumpkins album 
to follow Autumn. As I said to a journalist the other day, I think since James came back to the band, I think we're on track to release 71 songs in, in under five years. And we have another, you know, let's say 15 songs in production. On top of that, I released uh, in the last six years uh, two solo albums. So that's another 20-something songs. And not to mention the various cover versions live. So if you're talking about in the last five to six years, about 100 songs have, have entered my orbit, um, most of them penned by myself. That's commitment. That's, that's commitment. I live a life of privilege, to use the modern word. And, um, you know, there's lots of days where I get up and thought, man, I just want to read a book. I don't want to figure out this chord change uh, or figure out why somebody's yelling at me, uh, you know, somewhere. How does that compare from earlier in your career? We're talking like the melancholy and going forward into there. I know that it sounds like this absolutely monumental amount of music, but how does that compare to when, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, the, the level of songs that you're putting out? Uh, this is probably my as big a peak output in terms of music. You could argue that melancholy was a bit more. The only difference there, and I could easily match this with my current energy, is I had a working band. And what I mean by that is, there was a band all living in Chicago, and I could call them up on a Tuesday and say, let's meet tomorrow at the rehearsal space, and we're going to rehearse for six hours. I don't have that. Uh, James lives in a different city. Jeff lives in a different city. Jack uh, is currently, I think, residing in a different country. Uh, so it's not as simple as, hey, let's get the band together. It's, it requires a lot of infrastructure, logistics. There's no rehearsal space, per se. We tend to rehearse for tours um, wherever we're going before. So like we were in Mexico for a week before we stepped on stage at the World's a Vampire there. I think this is a good point to get out of this segment, jumping on Joe's job. Uh, <laughs> I like to think I could do Joe's job, but you let me could tell take you, it, baby. Listen, Joe's job is a lot harder than, than you think. Try announcing a wrestling show for, for four hours in a row. To our friends out there, again, thank you. We so appreciate you. Um, I'm a little sentimental as we're winding this thing down, and hopefully there'll be a, a season two somewhere. But when we come back, the world premiere of Intergalactic. Now available for pre-order at MadamZuzus.com. The autographed 4LP box set of Autumn, the new album by the Smashing Pumpkin. This 4LP colored vinyl pressing is limited to 1,333 units and will be machine numbered and autographed by the Smashing Pumpkins. Billy Corrigan, Jimmy Chamberlain, James Eha, and Jeff Schroeder. The limited edition box set includes the three-act, 33-song rock opera that is Autumn and 10 exclusive unreleased songs over the course of five 7-inch singles that will not be available for streaming or found anywhere else. Go to MadamZuzus.com to pre-order today. Free shipping in the USA. Three-unit limit for order. Pre-order will ship after April 21st, 2023. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. 
And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, friends, to the 33 Podcast. This is William Patrick Corrigan, your utter host. You know, um, there's one thing that strikes me about this song. If you listen carefully to the lyrics towards the end of the song, part two, where it is uh, shiny singing to Osira, of course, with Ruby standing there beside him. Oh, that reminds me. I forgot one small detail. When we go into the part where Shiny starts to sing back to Osira, who shows up but the X and I because they're looking for Osira plus they're looking for Shiny. So now you have what they used to call a standoff. Uh, it's a, sort of like the Clint Eastwood movie. Woo, 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 woo. So, so the X and I is trained on Osira. Osira has her space age laser gun pointed at, at Shiny. And uh, we're not sure. And as all this is going down, Shiny, of course, tells her where she can go. Basically, to quote my father, go ahead and kill me. So listen for those lyrics if you can, and you might recognize uh, a few characters in there. So here's Intergalactic by the Smashing Pumpkins. Dissolve crime 
Yes, I'm sure you've inspired with love. But one is more than you are all. One, it's time we say goodbye. What makes thee a true assassin? You must ask, but yet you know. Equals as peoples as bread, folks. We are the same. In parried out to the mountains, the spirit of us was punching Every road is traveled hard When every tear is shed for dust It's time we say goodbye to them Farewell to fate Run We'll leave us Last kiss for another lifetime, another swell time, another spring time, another.
And we're back. Now, I'm listening to the lyrics, and literally one of the things that stands out to me is Empires is one of the previous tracks. It's on my gym playlist. I'm trying to get all jacked and stuff like that. There's a lyric in there. You know that zero is one more than null. I'm listening to this song, and I, I'm pretty sure I hear zero saves zero. So the throwback to earlier, is it a throwback to the previous iteration of this character in another albums? I know you said everything's intentional. I'm just going off what you told me earlier today. I love your questions, Kyle, because they're so insightful and they really probe to the heart of what I'm after. And that these are the questions that I hope people would ask themselves when they're listening. The point of singing Zero Save Zero is only zero can save zero, only you can save you. I once sang The Killer in Me is The Killer in You, and people thought that was a strange line. That was dealing, of course, with our shadow, which is like you have to navigate your shadow. You can project on somebody, oh, I would never do that. Well, you don't know, right? Until you're, until you're standing again in the, in the center of the stage and 50,000 people are booing you. Try standing in the middle of a stadium and having 50,000 people boo you. See how you would react. <laughs> We're pretty sure how I reacted. So, yeah, so... I'd cry. Okay, good. Swole. You'd be swole, though. You'd be massively swole and crying. Or you could feed off it. I think Kyle, deep down, could be a heel in wrestling parlance. He could be a bad guy, feed into the hate and the, that energy that you're getting from people. Just because I'm full of rage, yeah. Joe. That's Kyle's all. kind of a peacemaker. I hide it try well. to make the peace. I, 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 I always made situations worse. Um, <laughs> that's just my way. In sort of poker parlance, I double down on the bet. 
You know, if it's going bad, I'm going to make it really bad and see what happens. Yeah, so he's standing there with the laser gun. The X and I is there. Okay, the, the jig is up, right? The story's over, essentially. Like, okay, all the principals are now standing in one location uh, for the first time. And, uh, and we have to make a decision here, not only in terms of narrative, but also, like, where does this all go? And, of course, Shiny is the key character or the, the key son of, upon which all this uh, narrative unfolds. And so at this point, now it's up to Shiny what's going to happen. Uh, you could say it's up to Osira, but it's Shiny who lays down the challenge, very much in a wrestling way, to Osira and says, look, go ahead. Go ahead. If you think you're going to get what you think you're going to get by pulling a trigger, you're not. I already know that. So it's kind of the joke's kind of on you. It's not on me. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to die, but I've had a good life and you know, don't forget, in, in Earth years at this point, Shiny's sort of in his mid-70s. Yes, he's come back for some strange reason Earth, and he looks about 56 years old. What a strange coincidence. But, you know, he's lived, he's lived a life. He was in space for 20 years. He had plenty of time to think all this stuff through. As I like to say often about things in culture, there's no there there. I wish, I wish that by throwing X amount of dollars at the NWA it would fix all of our problems. It won't. I wish that I could wave a magic wand and everything that everybody ever wanted for the Smashing Pumpkins would magically come true. You know, it would be the original four members standing on stage playing Siamese Dream 2 or whatever is the fantasy. I wish, trust me, I wish. I wish life was that easy. But if you look, and of course everybody understands these experiences, it just doesn't roll that way. The person that you thought you were when you left high school not saying everybody graduated, but the day you left high school, did you end up being that person? Probably not. Did your dreams all come true? Probably not. Did you end up marrying the person that you thought you were going to marry? Probably not. Did you get your heart broken more than once? Probably. It's just the way it rolls. Life is a complicated moment-to-moment exercise in futility, frustration, aspiration. And as they say, you know, the the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and, and expecting a different result. Well, that is life. <laughs> we get up every day and think today's going to be the day that it's all going to kind of fall into place. By and large, life is more of a cluster, F. And, and if we actually accepted that, which in this narrative, Shiny has accepted, look, life's not perfect. I'm not perfect. He actually empathizes with what Osiris wants in the world. He actually fought for the things that Osiris wants in the world. He stuck his foot in it, and he sang about love, and he sang about disappointment. Osiris is just a kid with big dreams talking behind a keyboard. He's actually been in the, you know, to a quote and paraphrase Blue Oyster Cult, the psychic wars. He's actually been in it. And speaking for myself, I, you know, I've been to the White House. I've talked to some of the most famous people in the world. I've been on the biggest stages in the world. Until you've stood in those spaces and see how the world really operates, which, trust me, is way more haunting, way colder, way more cruel than you could ever imagine in your wildest dreams. It doesn't come off like an episode of a Narnia or something, you know what I mean? It's, it's more like uh, the Hunger Games out there. I think what's so beautiful about that, and I think the thing that, you know, maybe a lot of young people, I mean, I certainly didn't realize it younger, is the beauty of life is the adversity that you face and then overcoming that adversity to become who you really are. And we do always have these fantasies, and I even have them from time to time when I'm at the grocery store and I'm looking at 
the lottery machine and I could put $2 in there and I get to for a few days live this fantasy that maybe I'll win the Powerball and I'll have $300 million and my life could be so much better. But would it? Probably not. It would be different, but there would still be challenges and I don't think it changes who I am as a person. And I think that that's something that's so important. And I think that that's something that people could probably gleam a lot from their music and from what we're seeing in autumn is the importance of knowing yourself and having that be sort of your North Star as you continue to face adversity and then overcome that adversity to continue to better yourself. I'm of the belief that if there is a God, I do believe there's a God, but if there is a God, you'll be judged not on what happened, but how you dealt with what happened. That's my belief. I like to think that it's not the knocking down part. It's the how you get back up and whether you come out swinging or you're able to forgive. I can tell you from a personal point of view, forgiveness has probably been the most powerful thing I've ever done in my life. How? It freed up a tremendous amount of energy that I would otherwise have in grievance and resentment to allow me to love, to laugh, and to create. I never in a million years would have guessed that giving up on these deep-seated grudges that I had would allow me to live a better life. I, I kind of enjoyed the grudge, you know? Um, it's kind of part of what makes you like, you know, here's my badges, here's my scars, and here's my list of grudges. You know, it's like Chris Jericho, the wrestler, he's got the list, right? Uh, we all have that list. Just forgiving a lot of those people on the list, it freed me up to like, wow, life, is, uh, life can be cool. And, you know, it's weird sometimes when I tell people, when I give them that advice that they should do the same, you can see that look in their eyes like, A, they're not ready to give up the grudge, and B, does it sort of, by forgiving, does it sort of make what happened okay? And it's like, no, no, I always say, forgive but never forget. You can always know what happened. You can always not judge but understand whoever you're dealing with that that's something that, that has happened in your perception. But to forgive, to truly just be like, I'm going to let this go— it's an amazing thing. So Shiny, in this narrative, has let a lot of stuff go. He's let a lot of stuff go. I mean, he's standing there. He's like, I'm pretty much ready to jump back in a ship. And I was just about to when you all showed up and with this young lady waving a space laser at me. And then there's the X and I, and he's not sure how they're going to play this thing. He's in, a, let's call it a Zen moment of peace. And you can only have arrived there by having let a lot of stuff go. His imprisonment, his exile, his the erasure of his work, to let all that go and just be okay with the fact that like, hey, I did it. The fact that I did it is more powerful than whether or not you remember. Buster Keaton, who I've talked about, I think before, in my estimation, one of the greatest artists of the 20th century. Not everybody knows who Buster Keaton is. Of course, pretty much everybody, including my kids, know who Charlie Chaplin is. But Buster Keaton was an equal and just in some estimation might have been a greater artist. And he certainly was a director as well of early silence, great comedian. And even last night I was talking to a friend, he said all the Three Stooges and all the Marx Brothers, that came out of Buster Keaton. Basically, they stole from Buster Keaton. Hanging on the clock tower. The fact that Buster Keaton wouldn't be on everybody's lips or an easily recognizable name, does that mean that what Buster Keaton did didn't matter? Does that mean the laughs didn't count? Does that mean that he didn't live? That's, what, that's ultimately what Autumn's about. Does erasure... Because some journalists, of course, have asked me, is it a cancel culture dissertation? And it's not. Does erasure take away the fact that what you lived mattered? And sometimes it's worth meditating on somebody who lived in Sumeria, you know, 7,000 years ago or ancient Egypt, you know, 
the fact that they loved and laughed and had children and, and would never know their name. I think I saw when I went to the Holocaust Museum, I believe in Berlin, that I think somewhere in the neighborhood, and I, I apologize if I'm getting this wrong, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25% of the victims of the Holocaust, they don't know their names. They don't know their and there's no record. There's no piece of paper anywhere that can say, this person lived and this person perished in the Holocaust. So not only is it terrible that they lost their life in this horrible moment in time, we don't even know who they were. Does that mean they didn't mean anything to anybody, that life didn't? That's what it's really, really trying to get at. And flip it, Osira believes that by erasing, in this particular instance, the life of Shiny, she somehow will sort of control where this all goes. That is complete uh, misappropriation power. And Shiny's literally saying to her, look, kid, you don't know what real power looks like. I ain't it, number one. And two, I've seen real power. And look, usually where it goes is south. And by the way, the real power is standing behind you. And they got their laser guns on you. Well, we are just about to hit the crescendo, the wee wee wee. I think that might be copyrighted, <laughs> but it's all about to come down to this. Two more songs, two more parts of the story. And I keep on thinking in my head, I know you're working on another album. We're working on a tour. The world is is so busy. But uh, when are we going to see this as, I don't know, I feel like a stage show would be the jam. Uh, there's been conversations about it. I can speak about it in two different ways. One is, I think when I talk about it with the band, they kind of look at me with this look of terror, which is like, how are we going to go on stage and play 33 new songs in front of an audience that might only know a few of them? That is intimidating. And it's intimidating to me. My thought would be, if you create the right show, something akin to the Shiny Tour, where the band is playing, and maybe there's some costuming, but not necessarily like performance like in theater, and then above would be visuals that would represent the various... Okay, here's the simplest version of that show. Uh, you get a ticket, and you're going to go to your local... Uh, in, Like, say, in Chicago, be the Chicago Theater, which holds about 4,500 people. You already know it's going to be a night of music surrounded on autumn, a special production. There's five other special guests that are going to sing some of the songs as the various characters. And then as you watch the show, over three acts, figure the whole show takes about three hours... Above you will be a visual representation in various forms. It could be drawings, it can be animation, it can be some live uh, acted things that would be on the screen, and you get a sense of the like the visual narrative and the aesthetics of the of the world of autumn meets the per- actual live performance. I think that's pretty reasonable and possible to do, and given the success of autumn so far, I think it's pretty doable. I think the other thing that I could speak of, and this is where it gets complicated, is the band is on such a roll right now, such a roll, you know, headlining major festivals, still playing arenas, going out on a massive, we call it in the business, a shed tour, which is the outside venues. We all, we've all been to them. That's usually where the summer shows go. And, you know, if, you, if, you don't, if you're not aware, we'll be playing with uh, Rival Sons and Interpol and in some select shows with Stone Temple Pilots instead of Interpol. Big, big tour. Big, big tour. I mean, that's as, as, as uh, our friend Austin Adams says, big league. Or is that Donald Trump? Uh, <laughs> I think they both say it. Well, they're Huge. both from Brooklyn, I believe. Like, it wasn't Trump. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Big stuff. So when you're on a roll like that, to talk about something that's more of a creative endeavor, 
with probably not a lot of financial upside because of the complications of playing a show like that, the cost that it would take bringing in special guests, not to mention the rehearsal time to put together a 33-song tour. That's where everybody's eyes get a little bit glassy. So I've learned to be patient and just kind of see how this all unfolds. But that would be my easy aspiration for sure. I have talked to a few people about the idea of animated series and stuff like that. So if you're talking to the people in Hollywood who greenlight those types of things, I'd say you need about another year to show up and say, look, this is what Autumn is. This is what we did. Here's a chance to carry this project on forward. Imagine if some high school somewhere, there's just a drama teacher who's like, I love this album. We're doing this now. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> that would be ambitious, to say hey, the least. I'm thinking it would look like the kids from, from Rocket. They'd just be like, oh, man, I'm getting the vibe now. Yeah, 33 songs, especially with all those words. That's a tough one. You yeah. could, with, with, if you were cheating with teleprompters and you, you, had a, you, know, you had special guests that could carry some of the vocal load, I think, I think, it's, I think it's workable. And I think it's good. I would call it the power of intention. I think it's good to throw some intention out. So um, on that note, I'm going to do Joe's job again. When we come back, we're playing our classic track of the week, and that track is Behold the Nightmare from the Adore album, released in 1998. And as uh, one of the boys here on the podcast said last night, that sounds like a wrestling move. You know, the guy hits the big move, and it's like, Behold the Nightmare. It wasn't just that. It was Behold the Nightmare of Autumn. Uh, I thought that was the full title of the track when I read it real quick. Of Adore. And it still sounded like either a Magic the Gathering card or like a a metal (laughs) song or something like that. And I was just like, behold the nightmare of a door. And I just got real excited. And then I listened to the song. Still got excited, but we're going to listen to it right now. Different vibe than I expected. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
Welcome back, music fans. You just listened to Behold the Nightmare off of Adore. And, you know, this is another one of these sort of deep, I feel like when you look at the the lyrics, it's, you know, kind of a dark song. And I think it comes from a, a dark point in your life, Billy. Is that where a lot of the lyrics and a lot of where the song kind of came from? Uh, I don't think <laughs> this is this, this eternal really? question of dark. I don't see it as a dark song. Really? Yeah. Hmm. It's the idea of... um like Kyle on on a past episode talked about sort of having an existential crisis and standing at the water's edge and the moon was out. I I tend to think of those moments as as not bad. Maybe it's my background as an abused child, but there's a moment in life where sort of like we were talking about with Shiny and Osiris and the whole thing, I sort of appreciate moments of clarity. Uh, Behold the Nightmare from a lyrical point of view is about a moment of clarity you've reached a point in the road or in a relationship where you have to kind of make a decision left or right. Um, I find uncertainty to be the most uncomfortable thing. I'm very happy to make a decision when I get to the thing. Now I don't always make the decision I would like to make. As we know, oftentimes in a broken love relationship, saying goodbye is bittersweet as Kyle, you know, recently has, has discussed but there's something sort of good about turning the page. And I think Behold a Nightmare is like, it's sort of saying, I see what I've been through. I recognize the darkness that I've traversed. And now I'm in full cognizant clarity of that. And now I need to make a decision. I actually think that's a good point. I don't, I'm not saying everybody would agree, but for me, that's, I, I like that stuff. It's kind of a double entendre. Behold the nightmare. I thought it was going to be something very dark, very this. Instead, the mare is essentially a, a horse riding into the night. I can't go on digging roses from your grave and the nightmare rides on. Is it an allegory for not only life, but that life can sometimes be a dark dream that's just going to go on and we just have to advance and see what's around that corner? Well, maybe also the nightmare of the relationship that I was in. Look, the, the lyric starts with, um, I face the fathoms in your deep. Uh, withstood the suitor's quiet creep. I don't usually talk too much about deeper subtext in lyrics, but I basically sang, I faced the worst that you had for me, and I survived, barely. Little did I know there was more to come in that, that particular relationship. And then and then secondarily, there are all these people around, and it was kind of like, oh, who's that? Oh, that's my friend, you know? Well, why, why is your friend, like, staying over at the house? Oh, well, they didn't have a hotel room, and it was, you know... I'm not saying there were necessarily affairs, although that's my suspicion, but there was always a sense that like you were easily replaceable. And we've all been in that situation too, if we're an adult, where it was like, you know, I, I used to say um, when I would be on the dating scene uh, many moons ago, you know, you'd meet somebody and say, oh, uh, you know, are you in a, in a relationship? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm single. You know, oh, when was your last relationship? Oh, you know, nine months ago, you know, I broke up with my longtime whatever. And invariably, there'd always be some guy named Phil. And you'd be like, well, who's Phil? (laughs) You know, and be like, oh, Phil's my friend. Well, why is Phil going grocery shopping with you? Oh, you know, I I needed help carrying the bags. You know, uh, there was always some guy named Phil, like around the edges. Of course, I did my own share of having, I guess, Phyllis. Uh, (laughs) 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 Anyway, I, I, I picked this song partly because I love it, but also partly because I wanted to sort of express something. And it's a little bit of what I was talking about before. The journey of the Smashing Pumpkins, part one, part one is pretty beautiful. 
we start as a club band, uh, the three of us playing with the drum machine. We meet Jimmy Chamberlain through a mutual friend. We start playing gigs in the, in the summer of 1988. And for the next seven years, it is a rocket ride straight up. It didn't start that way. It, it's, it, it was like a, like, like a runner getting faster and faster. But trust me, when we got going about 92, that thing started flying like you know what. So for seven years, from, from the summer of 88 to the summer of, uh, well, actually eight years, to the summer of 96, it was straight up. I mean, it was straight up. And then a door was made in the shadow of what happened in the summer of 1996. Well documented, feel free to Google. But I had to pick up the pieces. A broken marriage. Jimmy had left the band, my, my sort of musical soulmate brother. And then uh, my mother had died of cancer at the age of 49. And it, that, that itself uh, in itself was a very traumatic thing to witness because my mother looked completely healthy, normal, and lovely at age 49, had beautiful skin, uh, looked, you know, much younger than her age. And we went out to lunch one day and she said, by the way, I have terminal cancer. And she was dead in five months. And in that five months, she completely like physically and emotionally collapsed. So having been through that and to write songs like uh, Behold the Nightmare, Blank Page, To Sheila, some of the most haunting uh, music I ever wrote, and certainly not a good commercial bet, uh, although the album has endured creatively and aesthetically. I think the reason I chose this song was like, I wanted to point out that it's easy to sit here and talk about, oh man, everything's great, because it is. Uh, it's easy to talk about, wow, you know, James has been back in the band for over five years now. Very stable internal climate, uh, politically, musically. Lots of music coming out of the Willy Wonka machine called the Smashing Pumpkins. But it's important to remember that when you're patting yourself on the back, that in those times where it wasn't as simple, when in 1997, without Jimmy Chamberlain, I'm trying to make music for a major label that's got a tremendous amount of pressure on me. We're in a lawsuit with the label at the time. I think they sued us for $150 million. You can Google that one too. Yeah, I said $150 million. That is no joke. Not a real number. It was a real number to me. And back so in the day. So freaking big, I can't even relate and, to that. And, that's your and that's life. And that's in 90s money. That's 90s, Jeez. $150 million. Yes. So it's got to be $300 million today. So lawsuit, death, destruction. Uh, junior, as I sometimes refer to myself in the third person, made a curious decision. I think it was because I was reading about Bob Dylan and the basement tapes. Uh, there was a really interesting book uh, that came out, I think by Greil Marcus, about the basement tape album. If anybody knows the Dylan thing, around the time of Woodstock, Dylan completely disappeared from public view and was living in Woodstock, New York, and was making music in a basement every day. Everybody was sort of sitting around getting stoned, and they made all these kind of crazy songs, which became really the first bootleg, as they're known, the basement tapes, about five CDs worth of music. And some of Dylan's greatest songs were written in the basement uh, with everybody getting stoned. So I was sort of inspired by sort of like getting back to my root of just like kind of making up music on the fly. So for some curious reason, and this, there were more studios in Chicago at this time, I announced that we were going to move studios every week. Now, that sounds sort of romantic, but the problem of picking up a band and moving all that equipment to another studio week after week, I think we did about six weeks before I finally pulled the plug. Every time you go to a new studio, the first day would be like, you plug in your guitar and go, and you'd be like, what's wrong? Oh, there's a ground hum. That's an hour. So you'd lose all this time like day one. So really it was more like five to six days of work instead of seven. The band hated it. Every time you got comfortable, you know, you're off somewhere else. And by and large, the studios really 
weren't that different. But I was looking to kind of catch a wave, a vibe. And so Behold a Nightmare came out of one of those. I can see the room. I can't tell you what studio it was. Matt Walker was playing drums for the band. I had Matt Walker double track his drums, which is a very unusual thing to do. So if you listen left and right, there's Matt Walker sort of being phased by a guitar pedal. I was kind of trying to make up kind of a new vibe. And I kind of half got there. And in the middle of it, there were issues with the producer and, and myself. I fired the producer and uh, walked away from Chicago, decamped, picked up the whole band, and we all went out to L.A., where I ended up living in a, in a house that uh, Johnny Depp and other celebrities used to come visit in the middle of the night. And we'd do whatever and go swim in the pool and look at the stars at 4 a.m. Good, good times. But it, it's a messy time. So it's easy to sit here and say, oh, here's this beautiful song and talk about the lyrics and what I was thinking. But my sense of memory is the, is the insanity of trying to move studios, trying to move the band forward without Jimmy Chamberlain as our sort of musical uh, muscle behind us. It tipped the political balance inside the band. That caused a tremendous amount of problems. There was a, a lot of problems from management because they didn't like the music I was making at one point. They brought Rick Rubin in the studio who just kind of looked at me with wide eyes and said, you're losing your mind over here. I ended up importing Flood at the end of the album because I said, I begged on my hands and knees as a friend. I said, please come help me. I'm losing my mind. Uh, there were band members having various substance issues, uh, which were only growing worse by the day. And then, of course, there was, let's call it the gloss of L.A., the intelligentsia, the uh, the cool kids. So running around and uh, madness ensues. You just mentioned the basement tapes and how at this time in your life, as you were going through a transition, you kind of took that as as a way of changing the way you did things to kind of reset your brain or at least try to not do the same old thing there. My mind goes back to when I first met you, you just finished up 30 days, which in its own right was a very different vibe, daily traveling, trying to create things. Do you find that oftentimes in your life you find you find music is your your way of kind of redirecting your brain or your heart or anything to where you feel like you need to be when things might be a little tough? Yes, but I think to the spirit of your question, I target it more like by putting myself in a different situation than by using music, I can actually gauge where I am. Does that make sense? It's like it's a compass. Yes, I know I'm in the middle of Kansas. But something about being in the middle of Kansas brings something out of me that I didn't know that was in there. And then I'm like, well, this is interesting because this is some dormant thing that if I was back in Highland Park, I wouldn't be thinking or feeling. So I guess the emphasis point is taking yourself out of a comfort zone and then having some way to augur or document your response to the lack of comfort zone. So the moving of the studios, the moving to LA was to pop us out of our comfort zones. We'd gotten all a little bloated on our kind of rock star trip. Uh, I was driving a 355 Ferrari Spider, which I bought with cash. Um, you that's a, a good car? story. Yeah. Yeah. I walked into the Ferrari dealership in, uh, in, in Beverly Hills. And, um, I, you know, the guy saw me standing next to a car that I was interested in. And I said, I'd like to, I'd like to get this car. I, I think I took a test drive. And, then he, and I said, okay, I, I'd like to get this car. And he said, how are you going to pay? And I said, cash. <laughs> what a baller I believe it was $164,000 that's a rock star move right there if memory serves me correctly and if you still had that car to this day it's probably worth 1.7 that's the way those types of cars are working right now it's investments it's crazy well I'd have to look that up I have a hard time believing that because by the time I sold it a few years later with only about three or 4,000 miles on it it wasn't worth very much at all but that's the luxury car market which would bore our, our friends here what am I after with all this uh reminiscent about Adore and Times. What I'm trying to say is the journey of the Smashing Pumpkins, if you want to look at it, or even my own journey in music, not 
to make an ego, hey, look at me thing. I'm saying just look at it as a, as a, as a tale of a certain person. We're talking about Shiny and his, his own version of that. I like to read biographies because I like to learn how people dealt with adversity, how they responded. My response to the adversity of what I was going through in 1997 was to make an album called Adore. The good side was I really, in a very accurate and emotional way, documented what I actually went through. And the greatest compliment I get on Adore as an album is when somebody's going through a deep grieving process and they pull me aside and they say, that album got me through the death of my mother or my friend or... You know, I just found out I have a serious illness. Like that album is so on point with those experiences. So thank you. It's the greatest compliment I get. In the same token, we were coming off of Melancholy, one of the biggest selling albums of all time. We we're on MTV every five seconds. And literally two years later, we put out that album and it's the digital version of Crickets. We get blown up by the New York Times. The record critics hate the record. I'm a dummy. The record company hates me. The band starts falling apart. The management thinks I'm a complete dummy because I had all the gold you would ever want, fame. And I'm not joking. I am not joking when I tell you this. There was a point in that level of fame where I would open up pretty much any newspaper. I mean, I'm talking like any newspaper, just, just to see what the news was back when people read newspapers. And I would say 80% of the time when I opened that newspaper, there would be a reference to me or the band. I am not joking. I would be reading articles about food and somehow they would say something about the band. It was crazy to have that level. So imagine two years later, you've made this dissertation about death, dying, and moving forward, which took a lot of courage and which put me through a lot personally, and then have everybody around me, suddenly I'm a dummy. I'm a dummy. I blew it, you know, uh, the, killed the golden goose. Or, and I'll tell you one, one quick thing. Somebody I was in business with, so imagine the Adore era is kind of over. And uh, we're riding together in an elevator. And he turns and he looks at me, he goes, back to the rock. So I hope you understand what he meant by that. It means uh, your, little, uh, your little science experiment is over. It's time to go back to being a rat in the cage. But does that even, at that point, does it motivate you to want to experiment even more to try to see what else works out there, what can work? You know what works as far as the commercial success of stuff and then, but. And Billy, I know you, you don't exactly take somebody telling you what to do kindly. If anything, they're going to push back even harder now. (laughs) My response, my response was to, number one, get Jimmy Chamberlain back in the band after about three years or so. Jimmy was racing cars. He hadn't played drums for three years when he came back into the band. My other response was, we sat down, and I've talked about this a few times publicly, my other response was to sit the band down and say, this is the last album. I wanted a happy ending to the movie. I thought, this movie needs to end, and I should have ended it right there. Or I should have ended it even before then, but I, I, I should have gotten out. I thought, let's have a happy ending. So I got everybody together in a room, and I said, let's have a happy ending. And everybody ostensibly agreed to that concept. And knowing them as I do know them now, <laughs> that was a bad idea. Because <laughs> it was easy for them to agree. Like, sure, let's have a happy ending. Nobody had any real intention of working towards the happy ending. So going forward in the timeline, since we're talking about it, Machina started with the optimism of like, right, we're going to make one more, like the gangs together, Smashing Pumpkins record. Jimmy re-debuted with the band. We booked a show at St. Andrew's Hall in Detroit. It was sold out and it was speculated, who's going to be the drummer? No one knew. And when Jimmy opened the show playing the drum beat for Mine One, 
It was one of the, and it was only about 1,200 people. It was one of the loudest cheers I've ever heard in my entire life. I get goosebumps talking about it. The cheer when that crowd saw Jimmy back on the drums playing I Am One, it was, so the momentum of that was incredible. Like, Jimmy's back in the band. The band's, the dude, rock, go, go, go. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, everybody's misbehaving. There was substance abuse. There were people no-showing studio dates. It, it It was behold the nightmare. It was a behold the nightmare. So Little Billy's, version of the movie's going to end nicely wasn't going so well. So Machina is a documentation of the band disintegrating right in front of me. You just brought up that you wanted the happy ending and it didn't work out the way you wanted. Have you ever thought of what would happen if it did? Would we be doing this right now? Would we be talking? Would you still be making music? If Smashing Pumpkins, when you had it at its peak, you said, this is the way I want this to end on a high note and it didn't happen that way. Does that change the entire story for the rest of your life? Yes. Oh, I hear sirens in the background. Ooh. They're coming to take. They're coming to take me away. There's another copyrighted thing we probably can. They're coming to take me away. Haha. Okay. Here's a here's a quick one. Do you know what the B side of that record was? Do you know? Okay. So you know that song. They're coming to take me away, right? I know the song. Yeah. It was a. I can't uh, think of the guy's name. It was like Louis the Fourteenth or something. It was kind of. Fun. No, I think it actually was Louis the Fourteenth. It was just a novelty album that Maybe nobody thought would Google. be a thing, and it became a huge song. Okay, but you know what the B side was of to, "They're Coming to Take Me Away"? It's no. genius. It was the song in reverse. <laughs> Isn't that genius, right? <laughs> it's genius. Joe is still Googling. Joe, do um, you know the song we're talking about, actually, I, or no? I, it, I, it took me Googling Napoleon the 14th. Is ah, so I was, yeah, you were close. Good, right? You were really close. I used to play rock trivia. That was, um, that was my thing. I would challenge hipsters to rock trivia, and I'd always win. Is this you just shying away from the question that the happy ending didn't happen and it's just changed the rest of your life? Or One thing that I discussed quite openly, in particular with James Eha in that era of 1999-2000 was, let's break up the band, which, by the way, was a bad idea. Let's break up the band, and then after five years or seven years, we'll put it back together when we've had some time away from each other. So the intention was never to break up the band don't call me. It was break up the band as a sort of artistic and personal contrivance with the idea that when we decided to pick it back up, then we kind of pick it back up. That, of course, didn't happen. It ended in serious acrimony. James and Ehi and I didn't talk for, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 16 years. There were lawsuits. And then, you know, it's very well documented what happened when I tried to, one more time, put the entire band back together. Uh, that didn't go so well. So let's just put it this way. This is the parable of uh, the, uh, or should I say the final parable of this? A parable? Parable. Clarabelle. Clarabelle. Words that was no the, longer have meaning. Clarabelle, that was the, that was yes. the, that was the, that was the puppet. Uh, or that was the clown. Clarabelle was a clown. Yeah. Who was the woman who had the, the, the pup, the, the hand puppet? Who had, so I'm, I'm, you gotta be old. Was it the as woman old with as lamb, chop? Or lamb, lamb chop? Lamb chop. Lamb chop. Yeah, what was her name? Sherry Sherry Lewis? Sherry Lewis and Bram, I remember, was the elephant thing. Sherry Lewis was Sherry like... something. See, this is you should ask me if I have a six degrees of separation with Lamb Chop. I'm Oh I mean, Sherry Lewis. Just, Sherry, Sherry Lewis, Lewis, my God, oh my God. But you can't just bring up Lamb Chop and six Sherry degrees. Sherry Lewis's daughter? Now. Darla, the inspiration for Starla. It was that would that, be that's not true, by the way. Anyway, let's just make the, up trivia. No, yes. what was the It'll what get was on the parable? Wikipedia passes. The parable was don't try to make happy endings because it doesn't turn out that way. Just be happy and do your best. 
Is that good advice? Probably not, but that's how it tends to work for me. Anytime I've tried to concoct a happy ending, (laughs) it just hasn't gone that well. I guess the wrestling equivalent is when a bunch of guys come out and fight over something. Like, you guys are all going to come out and fight at the end. That's the wrestling equivalent of Mm -hmm. looking for a happy ending. You expect this massive sort of Donnybrook, and it ends up with somebody looking at the camera wondering, why am I standing here when they're supposed to be throwing a punch? Anyway, on that note, I can't believe we're almost at the end of this musical journey like no other. Thank you for being here again. I can't thank you enough. It's been a lot of fun. When we come back next week, it will be Spellbinding, the hit, which it is a hit. It's already an out-of-the-box hit, so thank you for that. So see you next week. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time and range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.